of the lyrics, you're going to be knowing the loneliest kind of lonely. I think when we first set out to be ourselves and no one else, it can feel that way for a moment. But when we embrace the truth of who we are, we find that we are never alone. And that is the unloneliest kind of unlonely. <laughs> that is the unloneliest kind of unlonely. But we have to be to have the courage to set out against our preconceived ideas and fears of what it might be like. In the same way that many alcoholics who come to AA resign themselves to never have fun again. Because something in them has told them that alcohol is the way to have fun. We can, on the spiritual path, start to think, well, we'll never have fun anymore any fun again, or we'll never, we'll never have the same closeness with other people, or what if I give myself up to the love and the God that's within me, where will I be? Will there be any Melinda left? And the truth is, when I'm willing to give up all my cherished beliefs, as it said in that quote, I become more Melinda than I ever was before and ever could be otherwise. Because we are that one. We are all expressions of that one. And we were made uniquely in this human form to express love in a very, very unique way. And we are special, just like everybody else. And we're so afraid in this life of being unspecial. So afraid of just being one of the crowd. But what if being one of the crowd meant that you were in love, literally, floating in love, swimming in love all the time. Pretty amazing. That's the kind of life that I want to live. I'm not going to tell you I'm already there, but that's the kind of life I want to live. So what I'm talking about, you know, we talked last week about this collective grief that we're in, this collective tiredness of the way things are right now and not knowing where we're going and what's going to happen. And also we know that it was only ever an illusion that we knew where we were going or what was going to happen. We were making a bet based upon past history and we can't make that same bet anymore. And it feels very uncomfortable. But what we can do is know we're never going back. Life does not go backward. It always only goes forward. And so we go forward with an idea that we will express the best of who we are regardless of outer circumstances. And what we know, what we believe in new thought is as we express that love, as we express the best of who we are regardless of circumstances, somehow circumstances or our experience of the circumstances changes. That is the power of our thoughts and our words. So today's talk is entitled, Words Matter. Words matter. The words we say matter. And I'm basing this talk on the first agreement in Don Miguel Ruiz's The Four Agreements, which I believe is one of the most powerful teachings that you can use, one of the most powerful tools. Four simple agreements, and if you do them, it will change your whole life. And the first one is be impeccable with your word. Impeccable. 
But what does that mean? Well, what he says is that, <laughs> I remember thinking this when I was seven years old. I call this a desk, and I know what I'm seeing when I call it a desk. You call it a desk, but I don't know exactly what you're seeing when you call it a desk. Are we seeing the same things? We have agreed that is a desk, that is a pew, this is a music stand. We made an agreement on that. We put language to it. And scientists say that until we had language, even in its most rudimentary form, until we had actual language, we could only deal with the world in physical terms. Once we had language, which are symbols of things, once we had language, then we could start to talk about symbolic things. We could start to talk about love and meaning. And so the language, even when you do not speak it, your thoughts carry symbols in your head of what those words mean. And if we do not question what those symbols mean and we simply accept what was given to us by our parents, by our peers, by the media, by the culture in which we grew up, by our neighborhood, by our geographic area in the country, all of those things, by our education, <laughs> which sometimes is more like diseducation. Um, if we do not question those, then we end up living our lives according to beliefs that have been handed to us by somebody else. And so to make our words matter in our lives, our words will matter, but to make them matter in the way we want them to, to come into matter, to come into being as love, then we have to go back and look at what are the agreements we have made and question every one of them. To be impeccable with your word means to speak with integrity. Say only what you mean. Avoid using words to speak against yourself or to gossip about others. Use the power of your words in the direction of truth and love. And these are not just spoken words, these are all words, the words inside your head. Integrity, in case you wanted to know, means the quality or state of being complete, an unbroken condition, wholeness, entirety, or being unimpaired, sound, or in perfect condition, or of sound moral principle, uprightness, honesty, and sincerity. It's that state of being, when we are in integrity. And what integrity means, it comes from the same root word as integration. That means we're taking what we say we believe and integrating it into who we are and how we show up in the world. So are you in integrity with what you believe? If we say in here that we believe that love is the guiding principle, that everyone is a being of love, then we, when we use our words to denigrate another human being, regardless of what that human being has done, then we are stripping humanity of that person and of ourselves. We can talk about an activity that we abhor, a behavior that we would like to change. But let me tell you, every war that was ever started, every argument that ever escalated, did so because somebody looked at somebody else and decided that they were in some way less than human, 
less than perfect. Because you can't, it's hard to kill somebody who you know is you. So you have to make them not you. That's how we are able to conduct wars. And so what if we, even this small group, what if we steadfastly went, I refuse to hate anyone. Not just hate, I refuse to believe that anyone is less than I am. Can you imagine? We don't have to convince the whole world. All we need is a tipping point. All we need is enough people to say, I'm sorry, do what you will, but you cannot have my hate. I will not give it to you. The way that beautiful Frenchman did when his wife was killed in the bombings in, in France. He said, you will not have my hate. You do not win. You have taken away my life, but you will not take away who I am. You will not take away my love. Imagine if we all got up every morning and decided that no matter what happens, whoever it is, whatever it is, whatever condition, whatever person, whatever animal, <laughs> you cannot take away my love. That's who I am, and you can't have it. I will give my love to you, but you can't have the love that I am. So we start to make different agreements. And it's insidious, the agreements we have made. We have made agreements that certain people of certain colors are less than, or more than, or more whatever. We have made agreements that people of certain political parties are a little less human than people of other political parties, or else how could they be a part of that political party? And y'all, that's what Hitler did with the Jews. It's okay to strip them of their rights because they're less than. That's what we did as America with slavery. It's okay to strip them from their rights and treat them as animals because they're less than us. And it's so insidious. It's, it's something that is already in our DNA and we have, you might not have those, partic those two particular ideas of subhumanness, but who or what in your life do you decide is not worth your love or your attention or your gratitude? You have to ask yourself that because here's the thing that happened. We received these truths through our parents, through education, through our surroundings. We received these truths, but then we took them on for ourselves. And then we started saying they were the truth and we started perpetuating it as truth and we started doing it to ourselves. And here's the thing, y'all, when you're holding everybody else to that high standard, if you do this, you're a little bit less than, then the minute we screw up, we do the same thing to ourselves. You see, we cannot and we do not treat others any differently from how we treat ourselves. Oh, we might buy ourselves things that we wouldn't buy others, but that's not the same. Something in us Maybe the thing in us that's buying the thing is the thing that feels less than and it's trying to find some way to feel better than, but still there is that within us that makes sure that the way we treat ourselves is the way we treat everybody else and the way we treat everybody else is the way we treat ourselves. And I don't know which came first, the chicken or the egg, but I know that at any point you can break into the cycle and change it. 
can break into the cycle and change it. So we received these ideas, we believed them, we took them on as truth, we perpetuated them, we created a life that is consisted of our internal image of ourselves and the external information from the external world, and that's what our life has become. So we may not be able to change the information from the external world, usually we can't, but we can change that image inside ourselves. We can say, I refuse to agree. I refuse to agree that skinny is prettier than fat. That's, a, that's something I took on at a very young age. Something our society says. You can't be pretty if you're fat. The prince will never love you. You will never be the princess. Now I wanted to be a princess, y'all. I really, really did. And literally, as an actress, I wanted to play the princess, and it wasn't just in my mind. I was told by directors, you're not believable as a love interest. Think about what that does to a 15-year-old or 16-year-old. You're not believable as a love interest. Think that made me a little bit uh, vulnerable to being victimized by anybody who acted like they liked me a little bit? A lot. A lot. Ah! Okay. Might want to turn that off for a second, Perry, because we are arguing with one another. Okay. <laughs> Sorry about that. Usually I take this thing to my face because it never will stay where it's supposed to be, and I didn't today. So sorry about that. So think about that's just an ex one tiny example from my life, which actually was very shaped my life in huge ways for a very long time. Think about what are agreements that you may have made that weren't even yours. Somebody else gave it to you and you just thought it was the truth. And so you adopted it as your truth and you started marching forward with that as your flag of truth. And, every, and then you judged everything based upon that. That's what we do. That's the insidiousness of it and the danger of it. But here's the beauty of it. The moment we question it, it begins to waver. And the longer we question it, we can see it fall into ruin at our feet as we create what our new truth is. So how do we do this? How do we change these, these agreements? First of all, we have to become aware. What are the words we use inside our heads? Idiot. You ever do that? Notice I was holding the steering wheel when I said that? Idiot. <laughs> I remember my mom used to drive, and when somebody did something stupid, she'd say, idiot. And when she made a mistake, she'd go, sorry, buddy. And I remember one time I said, do you think that guy is calling you an idiot when you're saying sorry, buddy? <laughs> or do you think maybe that guy's saying sorry, buddy, when you call him an idiot? And she looked at me like, I really wish you hadn't said that, but yeah, maybe so. Just a little question. Just a little question. And the bricks start to crumble. The bricks holding up untruths start to crumble. And the cool thing about truth is you can question it all you want and it will never fall. So you're not in danger. You can question everything and the truth will stand and the lies will fall if you question them deeply from your heart. And so first we have to be aware of what are they? What did we agree to that we no longer want to agree to? What did we agree to that we no longer want to? I can't tell that to you. You can tell, you can find it out for yourself though. You know, during this past 
five years, and really a long time more than that, of political unrest in our country, it has been my daily task not to automatically less than the people who disagreed with me on things that I thought were obviously, that I was obviously right about, and why couldn't they see how wrong they were? And maybe they are wrong. Maybe I am right. I don't know what right and wrong is. I only know my perception. But I can know that that is a beloved child of God expressing with the right to express just as I have a right to express. And then I cannot make it subhuman. I can make it so that it's not okay with me to tell mean jokes about it. That it's not okay for me to call it subhuman names. That I will be offended by an enemy's being taunted or ridiculed or put down as much as I am offended by a friend being taunted or ridiculed or put down. Because what is the difference between a friend and enemy? My judgment. something I work with. Not saying it's easy, but it's something I work with on a daily basis in my head. So we have to become aware of what we have been believing that might not be true. And then we have to spend some time discovering what it is that is true for us. What is true? You know, and I can't tell you for sure what truth is, but I can tell you that I decided many, many years ago that my one abiding truth is love. That love is why we're here, love is what we are, love is where we're going, love is our purpose, love is our identity. And when I live my life, in, when I can remember to believe that, then life goes smoothly, so I don't care if I'm right or wrong. I really don't care, because I am happier when I believe that love is the strongest power. So I made that agreement with myself and I have not regretted it for an instant. So if you want to see how you're judging yourself, start looking at how you're judging others. When you start tearing somebody else down, here's a little tool. Ooh, it's a painful tool, but it's a really good tool. He just like me. Add a little just like me at the end of the sentence. And then question yourself, how am I like that? Why is that driving me crazy? What is it within me that identifies with that and that I hate about myself, perhaps, or that I don't want to look at, that I'm extremely uncomfortable with? And then I can work on that, because I'm not going to change him, but I can change me. I can. So the awareness is first. And then the second step is to reverse the process. We've gotten aware, we're watching, we're paying attention, we're observing our words and our intention. Our intentions become words. And then we consciously speak and think thoughts we do want to be in agreement with, even if we're not there yet. I believe you are a beloved child of God. I do that sometimes in traffic. I go, you beloved child of God. Because it helps. It reminds me, do I really want to go there? Do I really want to make somebody else bad so that I am good? No, I don't. It's hard. Yeah, kind of I do. <laughs> but not really. That's not really who I want to be. 
So even if I'm saying it grudgingly, beloved child of God is a lot better than a lot of other words that I could choose. And a lot of other words that I do choose at times when I forget. Usually when I hear them come out of my mouth is when I go, oops, beloved child of God. <laughs> and we can do that. We get to be human. We get to play with it. Make it a game, but make it a game of love. Make it a game that everybody wins. Isn't that cool? Well, we're the cool church, so why not? Third, then we have to we have to reverse the process. We have to break it. And by asking the question, is this true? Is it true? A lot of things we can't, we don't know if they're true. Is he really a jerk? That even for me to decide. But what I can ask is this, does it serve me? And does it serve love to believe that he is a jerk? Or to call him one? Does it serve? Is it true and does it serve? And then is it helpful? I mean, that's really kind of the same thing. Does it serve love? Is it helpful? What does it help me do if it is helpful? It's helpful to call him an idiot because then I get to go, I'm the best driver on the road. And whatever I do, I know the reason behind why I did it. Or that it was an accident and I didn't really mean to. But him, he needs to go back to driver's ed. Whatever, is it helpful? I can't change him. I can't change me. So what is it that I'm trying to help in me when I do that? Am I trying to help prop a lie up in my life so I can feel better about myself momentarily? Or am I trying to prop up a truth that will change my life for the better permanently? And then just replace it with what is true. What is kind? What serves? What is uplifting? What is uplifting? And this journey, it, it's, it's a head thing and it's a heart thing. And sometimes our heads are in one place and our hearts are in a very different place. So we have to come to a place where they agree. And that's not about pushing our heart up into our heads. That's about bringing our head down into our hearts. Because the heart will take that head, head knowledge and go, no, and kick it right out if it's not real, if it's not true. The heart won't hold that which is not love. And so in this way, our words matter. And our words matter in how we use them in the world. It matters in how we use them with each other. It's a ma it matters how we use them behind each other's backs. It matters what we say to the person in the mirror. There was, oh, who was the quote? I think it's Kabir, um, uh, uh, one of the ancient um, Islamic poets. Islamic and Hindu, he kind of went back and forth. Um, he said, if your mirror says you are ugly, it doesn't know you. It doesn't know you. So don't listen to it. Or introduce it to who you are and begin to believe from that place. All suffering, all suffering is because of a lie. As Buddha said, all suffering is because we hold on to things that change. We believe this lie that somehow we can make everything be what we want it to be, and we suffer because of that. We, the Course in Miracles says all suffering is because we believe we're separate from the one, and that the stuff in the outer world even matters. 
We suffer because we are in fear. And that is false evidence appearing real. False evidence appearing real. So when you fear something, think, what is false there? Do I think this thing can truly touch who I am? Only to the degree that I allow it, as Ernest Holmes said. To the extent that we abandon love, we will feel that it has abandoned us. And so in this process of making our words matter for the good, for love, we stop abandoning love. And once we stop abandoning love, we'll never feel abandoned again. That's my belief. I'm not quite there yet. I abandon love sometimes. Some days I abandon it a lot more than other days. But I always, behind that, know I get to start over again. That wasn't my best. What is my best? I can start putting my mind on what, I, on what is my best. And these are seeds that we sow, these words that break old agreements and form new ones. So sow some of these seeds in your life and see what grows. Thank you.